So we turn to our scripture passage this morning. If you have your your bulletin, you'll find it over on uh, page four. We're coming to the end of our of our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, we'll, we'll take probably just two more weeks this week and next week studying Paul's grand conclusion, really the climax of his book, uh, this, this passage on spiritual warfare. And, and we'll see that this is, this is not Paul doing something radically different than what he talked about the rest of the book. In fact, it's, it's really taking those very themes and, and applying them uh, as he brings home to us again the good news of Christ. We'll, we'll take this passage in, in two weeks, uh, looking first at, at uh, the enemy and then, then the second week about uh, how it is that we fight in the, in the spiritual battle. But we'll read the whole, whole passage together. It's Ephesians uh, 6, 10 through 20. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and read God's word together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as choose for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for, for which I am an ambassador in, change, in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Our great God, we pray that you would use your word here in this place among your people here this morning. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding, that we might, that we might know uh, you and, and know the, the, the battle that you've placed us in and where to place our trust. We look to you as our, as our God, our King, and our Protector. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So do any of us really need convincing that life is a battle? Do you? I mean, do you need convincing of that? That it's a battle? It's not a, a jaunt. It's not a stroll. It's not a cruise. That it's a battle? Do we really need convincing? Probably the better question is something more like this. Where have you felt the battle most recently? Where have you felt it? Maybe it's it's come as a as a consequence of hearing what's going on in the world, the uh, the news, the bombarding of bad news just kind of weighs on you and and has you worried or just feeling downcast. Maybe it's something much much closer to home. 
uh, the, 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 your day-to-day life feels like a, like a battle in the midst of circumstances. Maybe it's a, a relational circumstance that's just hard and difficult or a situation at work or with your health. It just it seems like a constant battle, battle, battle. Or maybe it's a battle within that you really feel. There's a temptation uh, that you're just, you're just struggling with, like hand-to-hand combat. Uh, with 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 sin or discouragement or worry or where have you felt the battle? Well, Paul's very honest and open here in Ephesians six about about what life is really about, and he calls it battle war. Um, but he he talks about the details in in part to sympathize with what we feel anyway, but even more importantly to help us to learn how to stand. Not to be afraid, uh, not to be uh, to be anxious, but but to stand. And we're going to look at his encouragements uh, to us, really, really in two different parts. Uh, the first part is going to be know your enemy. The second part is going to be know how to fight. Uh, and so we'll, we'll do that first part this week, knowing knowing the enemy. But even there, uh, the the aim is not discouragement. It's not know your enemy so you can be afraid of him. Uh, quite the opposite, actually. Know the enemy so that you can be uh, be ready, be prepared, not be fearful and anxious. Uh, you, you might uh, have heard of the ancient Chinese treatise, The Art of War. Uh, well, here's what, here's what that work says. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battles. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you don't have to be afraid of the battles. That's the whole point. Know the enemy so that you might not be afraid. And that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to focus in on, on this morning. How does Ephesians 6 help us to know our enemy? Well, we'll take it in a couple of points together and hopefully at the end of the day be encouraged by the Lord. So first thing we, we learn from, from Paul's uh, work here is that the enemy is spiritual. Spiritual. Well, let's let's read again uh, how he puts it. End of verse eleven. Stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the force, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So Paul says, in in the battle that's raging around us in us and in everywhere in between, uh, that ultimately, Paul says, that battle is not a physical one, but a spiritual one. Uh, that ultimately the enemy is not flesh and blood, uh, but spiritual powers and forces. Uh, that's the ultimate battle, the ultimate threat upon us, not from people, uh, but powers and principalities. Now, Paul's not saying here that we, we never have human opposition uh, or, or, or flesh and blood enemies. I mean, this is Paul. He's admitted that he's writing this in chains himself. He's imprisoned in Rome, and he's there because of uh, harsh human enemies. Because leaders in, leaders in Jerusalem wanted him dead, because Roman officials refused to grant him justice, uh, he knows what it's like to have physical enemies. And so he's certainly not saying to us, ah, yeah, the, 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 there's no such thing 
as, as a flesh and blood enemy. Uh, so don't think this is somehow saying to you, uh, well, yeah, 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 the people who make your life miserable, that doesn't count. Because that is difficult, harsh. There are individuals who set themselves up as our enemies and make our lives sometimes miserable. And it does hurt. And Paul's not saying that doesn't count, uh, that's trivial. What he's saying is, that's not ultimate. That's not ultimate. As real and painful and hurtful as that flesh and blood level is, that's not the ultimate battle. There's something bigger and something right in the midst of that human opposition uh, that is the ultimate threat and the ultimate battle. Um, Paul gives a great example of this back in, back in chapter 4. We studied it a long time ago, but you might remember where Paul says uh, these words. He's, been ta- he's talking in chapter 4 about our interactions together as individuals, how we're called to, to walk in love. And he uses this one example. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So you see how he's taking this spiritual battle principle. So first of all, he doesn't downplay the fact that there's really a difficult thing going on on a human level. So there's a situation so bad uh, that that on, on a human level, on a relationship level, that it makes sense for you to be angry. Like, like, okay angry, like righteously angry. Like, that's the good, proper response in that situation. So clearly something really serious is going on on the human level. And so he's, yeah, be angry. But, but don't sin, watch out, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't hold on to it, keep it, nurture it. Why? Because there's something bigger that's threatening. Don't hold on to it. As bad as that human level is, there's something even more threatening because to hold on to the anger, you're going to give the devil an opportunity. You're going to give the spiritual powers lurking right there in the midst of the human level. There's there's the even greater enemy. So that's what we're talking about. Not that nothing on a human level counts. It's that that's not ultimate. That's not ultimate. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're looking in the midst of, of dealing with difficult things uh, between people. We have our eye on, on something bigger, something uh, more, uh, more ultimate. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. I, I can't help but think how many tense situations in, in, in families, in, in churches, how many tense situations couldn't be very quickly mitigated or helped significantly by just uh, rehearsing to ourselves this simple fact, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That ultimately, it's not you versus me or us versus them. As difficult as it gets and as as much as we have to work details out, that's not the ultimate battle. Us and them, you and me. Spiritual powers and principalities. So it's a spiritual battle. The enemy is spiritual. The enemy is powerful. And so here you see Paul describing the enemy, and he and he piles up terms. Right, verse twelve. Uh, here's the ultimate battle: <coughs> not flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, the point here doesn't seem to be 
Paul laying out some classification of, of the demonic army, right? kind of laying out some, uh, uh, you know, different levels of, of demonic leadership. I don't think that's the point, and most scholars agree he's not giving categories as much as he's just piling up different descriptions for the same thing, the spiritual forces of darkness. But notice how he, what he really emphasizes is real strength, power, authority, force, he says, uh, cosmic worldwide power. Uh, he's emphasizing that there is is real power and authority out there in the spiritually realms, the spiritual realms, and, and that's where that's that's the enemy. Of course, it's led by by the devil himself. Verse eleven mentions that uh, that take your stand against the devil. Devil comes up again in verse sixteen. The flaming darts, of, the flaming arrows of the evil one. And and biblically, we know how to how to put the pieces together. And we're not talking about the, uh, a, a separate God, but a, but a fallen angel in the devil. Uh, and those who fell with him rebelled against God and now are, have set themselves up against God and everything that has to do uh, with God. Uh, and that's what, we're, that's what he's describing here. Uh, but he does it in, these, in this language of rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Now, there's really, there's really two mistakes that Christians can make when it comes to uh, the powers of darkness. Uh, we can, on one hand, overestimate the strength uh, of demonic power, but on the other hand, we can underestimate the power of demonic forces. And the truth is, uh, Satan really doesn't care which way we err. Right? Either one is to his advantage. He doesn't care if we overestimate it or underestimate it. Uh, he's perfectly happy it serves his, his purpose. And Christians fall off on both sides. Probably for a group like us, you know, kind of the button-down Presbyterian types, probably more tempted to underestimate the powers of darkness uh, and the power and the, and the force and the authority. And so it's probably helpful for us to hear Paul. You know, th this is Paul, Mr. Sovereignty of God himself. You know, this is the book that started off with Paul talking about the, uh, the sovereign plan of God and, you know, working all things in conformity with his will. Same guy, not taking any of that back, but the one who also says, oh yeah, and there almost definitely are spiritual forces, powers, authorities in the heavenly places. And probably uh, individuals like us need to maybe take it a little more seriously than we, we might. Uh, our passage from Job this morning is, is helpful. It kind of gives us uh, the, the details a little bit and puts, puts things in, in right biblical balance. So if you were paying attention or reading in Job this morning, you saw clearly you have Satan presented as real, personal, active, not equal with God by any stretch. Right? We're not talking about uh, two equal powers, one good and one bad. No, Satan clearly uh, inferior. Satan's not eternal. He's a created being. Um, he has to essentially ask God permission uh, to work, right? He's, he's on a leash from God. Uh, but yet when he, when, he, when he goes to work in Job's life, notice he has significant power and authority. Right? Significant force in, in the world as Job knows it. Um, it may be interesting to note as well that 
that where his work shows up in Job's life, most of it is not kind of weird, spooky, Twilight Zone, puff of red smoke kind of stuff. It just looks like everyday stuff. But we know, having gotten a peek behind the curtain, that the devil's behind it. Things like bands of raiders who, who steal Job's animals and kill Job's servants. There's the devil behind that. Uh, the, the, the windstorm that comes and blows down his son's house. We know the devil's behind that. So, so real, uh, physical things that happen in human actors and forces of nature uh, that are real in themselves, and God's going to hold those raiders responsible, uh, but, but yet we know in and through in the midst of it, there's, there's a power of evil at work. Uh, uh, God's sovereign over it all. How that works together, we, we trust the, the Lord on that, but, but clearly presented as real power, real authority, having real force. Uh, which, which then brings us to the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes, that he is, uh, that the forces of darkness are spiritual, that they are powerful, and they are resourceful. And Paul talks about the, taking our stand against the devil's schemes, his, his wiles. He's got a particular strategy and particular tactics to achieve it. But, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, that we're not ignorant of Satan's designs. We're told, God tells us, both what his strategy is and what his favorite tactics are. So this is not to be worried, but to be on the alert, so we're not surprised when we see it. Uh, the, the overall strategy, as we've mentioned, of the forces of darkness is to oppose God at every turn. Oppose the work of God and, uh, however it's possible, tarnish uh, the, the, the glory of God and how it's reflected in the world. Um, so, of course, since the number one work of God is the, is the gospel, the rescue of his people, uh, the number one target of the enemy uh, is believers. Is believers. There's a real sense in which, as we uh, as we enter into the Christian life, uh, why why the attack gets stronger, not less, uh, because now all of a sudden we're now we're a threat. Now we represent the glory and saving work uh, of God, and so there's a there's a, a spiritual target on our back, as it as it were. There's the the strategy: tarnish the glory of God in in your life, in mine. What are his tactics to achieve it? Uh, well, what should we be on the lookout? Well, we've already seen from places like Job, we're, we're not just looking for the spooky, weird things in the world, and we're going to call that the devil. Not that those things can't happen and don't happen. Uh, they, they do, but we don't want to say that's it. All right? We learn from Job, sometimes it shows up in very ordinary things. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, so not just here's what to do if you're going on a mission trip to a third world country. Yes, we'll be on the guard for that if you're going, uh, but, but also in your home and in my home and as you process the voices around you, even as you process the voices in your own head, uh, be on guard for, for the tactics of, of the powers of darkness. And here, here are the basic tactics. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, God tells us. Four of them quickly. The first is Deception. Deception. Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies, John 8. Revelation calls him the deceiver of the whole world. Uh, in fact, the very word devil uh, means the one who slanders. 
the one who slanders, the one who tells lies in order to destroy someone's reputation. And of course, ultimately, uh, he's out to destroy the reputation of God. And however he has to lie to get there, uh, even if it's lying to you and to me, uh, well, that's he's happy to do it. And essentially, his favorite lies are these three. And often they're packaged together. Uh, the favorite lies of the powers of darkness are essentially these three. God isn't good. God doesn't love you. God can't be trusted. Look out for those. Think, think of how, how they work in, in the Garden of Eden, right? There's the first time we see, uh, we see the devil at work personally, um, and, and he shows up, Adam and Eve in paradise, everything's perfect, good, wonderful, no difficulty, walking with God, joy, and, and in comes the devil, and he spins those three lines, right? Okay, fruit on the tree, did God really say you're not supposed to eat any fruit, uh, you're, that's not going to hurt you, right? He, he knows that if you eat of it, you're not going to die. You're going to be like him. Think of the, the lies that are spun there. God's not good, right? Look at him. He's holding back on you. Uh, and so clearly he doesn't love you, and he's lying to you so he can't be trusted. Uh, spin those things together. Adam and Eve believe them, and sure enough, sin comes into the world. Go anywhere else in Scripture, you see the same combination. How about the Israelites in the wilderness? Right? God has just delivered them out of Egypt, shown his power and his commitment to them. And, and all of a sudden, just a little bit of hunger and thirst, and they're believing all those same lies. Right? I guess, I guess God's done with us. This is awful. He, he's out here. We're out here to be killed. Let's go back to Egypt. Right? God's not good. Uh, we can't really trust him, and so clearly he doesn't love us. Look for those things uh, in, in your life. Uh, look for those, those, those messages. And in the circumstances around you, uh, the hard things come, and you're going you're gonna to be tempted to believe those same things. Wow, this is really hard. This is not what I expected. I guess God isn't really that good. I guess he really doesn't love me. Maybe I really can't trust his promises. Right? That, that's, the, that's the tactics of the evil one. It's lies. But they'll look good. Speaking of looking good, uh, which gets to the second and related tactic, which is that of temptation. All right, the powers of darkness uh, tempt, tempt to sin, to break God's law, uh, break His His standards, so that so that we sin. Now, uh, the the powers of darkness can't make us sin. So none of you can say the devil made me do it. No, um, but they can entice. Intent. Right. One of the one of the old Puritans like to like to say uh, that Satan likes to present the bait and hide the hook. Right. There's a there's a good image for for the, the work of temptation. Present the bait, hide the hook. Right. It's like it's like fishing. Right. The, throw out the bait, flash it. Look, it looks really good, really really good. Happens to be that there's a hook in there that's going to kill you, but that's not what you're seeing. And of course, that is what is 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 Satan's main tactic. Flash that bait. Look how good it looks. Adam and Eve, right? Eve looks at the fruit. Wow, that does look good. I guess I kind of like the idea of being like God, right? Of course, there's a hook in there. Yeah, you're going to die, and the whole world is going to fall with you. Uh, but that's not that's that's him. Right? Flash the bait, hide the hook. Jesus in the wilderness. 
Uh, Satan comes to Jesus, does the same thing. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Uh, come on, turn stones into bread. You deserve it. You're the son of God. Don't you have authority? The angels will come and rescue you if you throw yourself down, right? It looks good. It looks good. Again, uh, we, we can expect these things. So, so, so be on the lookout for it. Uh, sin this week, it will look good. It, it's not going to look like, like, like a root canal. It's going to look like the, like the paradise vacation. So expect it to look good. Remember, though, it's the bait. You're not seeing the hook. Right? Deception. And then right along with it, the tactic of accusation. Uh, the, the name Satan in Hebrew means the accuser. Now, Revelation 12 calls calls Satan the, the accuser of the brethren. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is another key tactic, making accusation. And it, it often comes as a kind of one-two punch with temptation. Uh, so first, it's the, it's the temptation to sin. Uh, look how good that looks. God's holding out on you. God doesn't love you. And then comes the accusation. You sin. Oh, look how bad you are. You are awful. God could never love you. Right. Same lies, but kind of spun a different way. First, it's temptation. Oh, that looks so, that sin is so good. Look, 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 look. Look how great it is. Then you fall into it, and it's, wow, you are bad. God could never love you. He won't. You're that bad. And, of course, you could see how, the, how you could easily get into a spiral, into a cycle. Right? Oh, wow, I guess I really did. That really was awful. I guess I really am that bad. I guess there is no hope for me. So I guess I just go back to sin. What else am I going to do? And you kind of cycle around and around and spiral down. That's, that's the tactic. That's the plan. But if you're looking for it, uh, if, you're, if you're expecting it, you're not surprised. Uh, you're not surprised. That accusation, by the way, is, is very different from the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. It's a very different thing. Right? The, God says that the part of the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of sin. And so as believers, uh, when we sin, and of course it's a, it's a when, not an if, when we sin, we can expect that the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Uh, and there's, there's a kind of heaviness and grief and, and hatred over our sin that, that's appropriate and right, that the Holy Spirit is doing. But that's very different than, than, uh, than, than Satan's work of accusation, uh, because the accusation is designed to have you running from God. Right? You feel so awful and, oh, I'm just so bad that you're running away from God. The Holy Spirit is trying, is convicting in order that you see the, the mercies of God, uh, the grace in the gospel, and you're running to God. So that's how you know the difference. Uh, right? if, it's, if it's something that has you, has you, has you going to, to run away from God, that's the voice you don't listen to. Um, but right in the midst of it, you can trust as a believer. You have the Spirit. The Spirit's going to be working there, too. Uh, yes, it, it will involve a sense of sadness over sin, but, but not to have you running from God, but having to run to him as a God like the, uh, like the father of the prodigal son who welcomes us and delights uh, over one uh, who, turns, who turns from sin and his mercies in, in Christ. Uh, one, one final final scheme of the, of the evil one, which is persecution. Right? If all else fails, then just all out frontal assault uh, Revelation 12 speaks of uh, Satan as the great dragon who, who makes war on the saints. 
right? Even using the powers of, of this world to, to persecute and oppress uh, God's people. And that's been true down through the ages. Uh, the behind the, the, the human players, which are real, uh, but behind it is a scheme of the evil one, whether it was first century Roman emperors or, or, or 21st century uh, communist powers. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the same work of the evil one behind it, all right, to, to conquer God's people just through sheer oppression and persecution. So the schemes of, of the evil one uh, look for deception, look for temptation, accusation, and even, even persecution. So we started to, to put some pieces together about the, the, the enemy. Spiritual, powerful, resourceful. Are you depressed yet? That's not the point. That's not what God is going for, right? Why is Paul telling us all this? So that, so you can stand. That, that, that's not just like maybe, like that's the expectation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With this, you can stand. Now, of course, we're not done yet. We're going to come in next week and, and, and talk about the, the fighting of the spiritual battle, the armor of God. Uh, but I'll give a little sneak preview of what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and the gospel. That's what it's about. This is nothing new for Paul. Uh, this is not Paul saying, here is something completely different and a completely set of stra- different set of strategies. So you got the normal Christian life over here. That was Ephesians 1 to 5. Now all of a sudden you got this spiritual warfare stuff and you got a different set of spiritual moves for that. No, no, same thing for everything. Because it is the same battle. Uh, it's Jesus and the gospel. There's where victory and strength comes from. It's not that you have the strength. It's that you can be strong in the Lord. It's not that uh, you can do it. It's that he's done it. And there's the good news, right? Because we're who are we? Well, we're, we're like Adam. The, the schemes of the evil one come, right? The lies, we believe it. The, the temptations, we fall into it, just like Adam did, just like Eve did. Uh, that's us. So it's just about what we do, we're in trouble. Uh, but what God does is he brings about it a second Adam, one who's made just like us, only he not only withstands the devil's schemes, he conquers him. All right, Jesus comes and he arrives, and you might remember one of the first things that God has for him is, is through the Holy Spirit driving him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it looks just like Adam's temptation. There come the, there come the lies of, uh, of, ah, the father's not good, and, you know, go for it yourself. And, but the difference there is Jesus does what we don't do, what Adam doesn't do, withstands the temptations of the evil. Right? He stands. At the end of the day, when all else fails, Jesus is standing where we fell. And throughout the earthly life of Jesus, remember how clearly he demonstrates his power and authority over the powers of darkness. Right? The, the, the demons see him, recognize him, shudder. They're silenced with a word. They're cast out with, with a word. Because here is here's one greater. Here is one more powerful. And, of course, the ultimate victory comes at the cross itself, uh, where it looks like the, the darkness is winning, but actually what God is doing through his Son 
is, is defeating the darkness, putting the powers of this world uh, and the spiritual places on, on public display for humiliation, conquering them, because he's bearing the darkness himself, right? The, the, the guilt, the sin, uh, our sin that we, we bring on ourselves for believing the lies and falling into the temptations, all that guilt, Jesus bears it. All the things that the evil one thinks, ah, here's victory, Jesus takes it and conquers it, rises again in victory. And Paul emphasizes in Ephesians 1, Jesus is the one who is seated far above all rule and power and authority. Some of the same terms he uses here in chapter 6 to describe the, the powers of the forces of darkness. Well, he set us up for the answer. Yeah, but we know one who's bigger, more powerful, who's already won the victory. Now, that, that as strong, as powerful as the forces of darkness are, they are essentially defeated. Though they're still, Satan's still a roaring lion, uh, yet he's a defeated lion. His, his doom is sure, as we sang, uh, as we sang earlier. And so now, uh, as we'll get to see next week, now we, we fight with that victory, right? We're strong in the Lord, right? Connected to the Lord Jesus. And so we don't, we don't fight with, with how great we are. We fight with how great he is. And so the, so the temptations come, and it's, it's that strength in Jesus. It's you connected to him, right? You in him, you're righteous in Christ, forgiven in Christ, uh, raised up in Christ, loved in Christ. And so that's, that's, how you, that's how you fight back against all the schemes, right? So when, when, when the, the message comes, yeah, God doesn't love you. Look how awful it is, right? Uh, clearly, uh, clearly God doesn't love you. And so that sin can't be that bad. Just go for it. You fight back and say, yeah, yet yeah, in Christ, I know I'm loved. Look at the cross. Uh, in Christ, I know that sin is deadly. Look at the cross. Uh, or, or maybe it's when you have sinned. Uh, and, and the message is, man, look how bad you are. Look what you've done. You point to Jesus. Yeah, but look what he did for me. And look where I am. I'm in him. That's why I'm strong. Not because of what you do. Because of what he did. Uh, we're strong in the Lord and his might. How could God love you? Well, look at the cross. It's done. It's finished. It's settled. And you fight, fight that battle. You speak those words to yourself. Uh, and, and you're strong in, in him. That's the whole of the Christian life. And that's the key to just uh, this spiritual side of it as well. Um, strong in the Lord. So yes, you know your enemy. You expect the, the battle to, to rage. You expect the lies to come. Not so you can be afraid of it. Uh, so you can know how to, uh, how to fight and, and, and whom to cling to. And how you're actually, where you stand, much safer than you might ever imagine. Because you're in the Lord. You're in Him. And so in the Lord, stand. Uh, even in the evil day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the good news of what you've done and who you have made us to be in Christ. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, that though the, the difficulties and, and, and challenges are real and the, and the enemy is real, we pray uh, with thanksgiving that you've won the victory and will come back and vanquish all evil uh, from, from, this, from this world. We thank you for it. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.